Hey, if you have your Bibles, open them to Luke chapter 5. We're going to spend uh, pretty much all of our time this morning on one particular verse in Luke 5. It's on page uh, 719 in this Bible. If you don't have your Bible with you, uh, there should be one of these on the floor around you. Uh, A few weeks ago, I was flying to Houston uh, for a conference I got to be a part of. Houston is an interesting distance of flight because it can be a little more or less than two hours depending on how the winds are blowing and and how fast, how speedy your pilot is. And so it's one of those flights that's right on the verge of being able to watch a movie on the plane depending on if you started early enough. And so on February 28th, I was flying to Houston. The date will become important here in a minute. Uh, I was flying to Houston and right as we got up to uh, cruising altitude, I started a movie and I got uh, all but the last five minutes into the movie and the in-flight entertainment system shut off for landing. And so I missed the last five minutes of the movie. I got to uh, figure out who the killer was, but I didn't get to see what happened to him. Uh, and so I only missed what, what, uh, like 100 minutes. So it's at 5%, right? 5% of the movie. I only missed 5% of the movie. But it has played with my brain for the last three weeks. Now, here's why. I, I figured I just watched the end of the movie on the return flight because I had a return flight uh, later that week from Houston. So I flew back on March the 2nd. And what I found out was that at the beginning of the month, United changes all of the movies they offer on all of their flights. So I still, to this day, have not seen the last 5% of that movie. Isn't it amazing how getting and having or not having the last 5% of something makes all the difference in your perception of it. Isn't it crazy how the last 5% can make the difference between something being good and something being great? I mean, think about this. The last 5% of practice is often the difference between being an all-star and being an also-ran. I mean, it's like Larry Bird shooting the 500 free throws every day before practice, even when he was already a star. The last 5% of hard work can be the difference between getting that promotion and staying where you are. It's making sure that all the details are covered in those presentations that you have to give. It's making sure that the little things are done. The last 5% of detail is often the missing piece in helping you meet your physical goals. It's, it's not grabbing that piece of chocolate every time you walk by the candy dish. It's running the half, last half mile instead of walking the last half mile. It's, it's doing those last five reps at the gym, the last 5%. Is so important. The key to making A honor roll instead of AB honor roll is the last 5% of studying you're doing. The key to uh, Ivy League versus Big Ten is that last 5% of the work you do in high school. The key to a great sermon instead of a good sermon is the last 5% of preparation. That one's for me, by the way. It's not for you necessarily. Um, but uh, this, the Lord has really been using this ever since I missed the last part of that movie. The Lord has been in, imposing this 5% principle on me in a lot of different ways. I want to share with you just one way of how uh, he's doing that. My sister, about five years ago, had a job <clears throat> with the Indianapolis Airport Authority. She worked in the parking area, and I was taking a trip. It was the first trip, I think, when I was employed by the church. And uh, she said, hey, I can get you, if you want, a garage pass that allows you to park in the airport garage for free. Uh, and uh, that way the church doesn't have to pay for parking. I said, oh, that would be great. And so she gave me this parking pass uh, five years ago that allows me to use the parking garage. And apparently some of the, if you don't know this, some of the VIPs around Indianapolis have these, and they can park free in the garage whenever they want. And I don't know who these people are, but I was on that list because my sister worked there. And so um, I used this pass, and I called her after my trip, and she said, I said, it worked great. Thanks for letting me use it. And she said, you know what? You can use it whenever you want. But if somebody else will pay for your parking, don't use it. But just, you know, be careful with it. But you're welcome to use it. So 
I did. And uh, for five years, I've used it. Now, three years ago, my sister lost her job at the airport authority uh, because they had a restructuring, and so she didn't work there anymore. But I went on the next trip, and the pass still worked. And uh, a couple people at the church uh, staff found out that I had this, and when they'd go on a trip, they'd hey, can I borrow your airport pass? And I'd oh, yeah, sure, no problem. I was just passing around like it didn't mean anything, right? Well, so <clears throat> the last uh, five weeks or so in our church, the Lord has been speaking to me about this idea of unquestioned integrity. And so on my trip from Houston, I came back, and I got into my car, and I went to the parking garage, and I put the card up to open the gate, and I was, always, like always, my heart stopped a minute, thinking the gate wasn't going to open, and it did, and I went, Phew. and then I always have this moment where I think, I hope nobody catches me with this, and the Lord spoke to me in that moment, and he said, Steve, I don't want you to have anything in your life that you hope nobody catches you with, and so I hung my head, and uh, I told my friends that have used my airport pass, I said, hey, I am getting rid of the airport pass. In the interest of integrity, I want you to know I'm getting rid of the airport pass uh, because I'm not paying for parking and I should be paying for parking like everybody else. And so uh, the Lord has given me this and this is the last 5% of integrity in my life, right? It's not always the big things. Sometimes it's the little things. It's the last 5% of integrity in my life. So just so you know, uh, somebody on our staff who I will not name said, uh, well, if you want me to, you can give it to me and I'll get rid of it for you. (laughs) But I did. I threw away Uh, my airport parking pass. This 5%, the last 5% is sometimes the most important part of uh, of a project, uh, of a thing, of your life. And sometimes it's the hardest to implement, the last 5%. And the same is true in your prayer life. Same is true in your relationship with God. Anybody can do 95% of what it takes to have an incredibly close relationship with God. But when you see that person who really seems to have it figured out, you know, we all have that person in our life who has an incredibly fertile prayer life, right? We have that person that seems to know Scripture better than anyone else. We have that person that seems to really have an intimate relationship with God, that relationship that we want. The key often is the last 5%, that 95%, chances are, if you're a Christian, all right, if you're a follower of Jesus, the chances are you're doing 95% of what that person's doing. And the only difference in your spiritual life and their spiritual life is that last 5% that they've got figured out. So we're finishing up this series today called A Praying Life. We've been talking about insights from this book by Paul Miller called A Praying Life. How many of you have read this book now? How many of you have been through this with, uh, oh, not as many as first service, i got to tell you. You may be small, but you're supposed to be fierce. So I need you guys to read this book. It's a great book. I used to sit in the living room a year ago when I first read this book, and uh, my wife and I'd be sitting there, and I'd be reading something. I'd go, oh, that's so good. And she, what is it? And so I'd read it to her. Oh, that is good. And uh, I said, I know, and I want our church to read it. And when you guys started reading it, I said, hey, you're going to say this. It's really good. And so hopefully you found it good. Hopefully you've, as we've dug into some of the scriptures that he talks about in there, um, that you found his insights on prayer useful and helpful. We've, we've talked about uh, Jesus' disciples and how they clearly saw something different in Jesus' prayer life that there was something in his prayer life that just made Jesus so different. We'll talk about that more. They wanted to imitate that. And we've been talking about relating to God, how a child relates to his or her father and how important that is and and what to do when prayer goes unanswered and how even when we don't get the answer uh, that we're expecting, we can ask and ask and ask, that that's okay with God. And so this week on social media, I uh, posed the question, uh, to, to share what God has been doing in your life through this book. And I've got a couple of responses I just want to share with you. Uh, the first one is from my friend Frida. Some of you know Frida. She gave me permission to share this with you. And here's what Frida says. This is just really powerful. 
<clears throat> she says, Am I, as I'm reading through the book, I've been learning a lot about actually talking to God. I came from an abusive household. We were very poor. My brother and I learned early on that you don't ask for anything, mostly because we had little money and any extra my parents had went to cigarettes. So I grew up not asking for help or anything. If, if I needed something, I went without or I figured out how to get it myself. This pattern weaved itself into my relationship with God, and I didn't realize it until this study. I just had always figured if God wanted me to have it, I would, so I never asked. Now I am having real conversations with God and understand more what a father does for his children. I'm no longer scared to ask God for something. As a child, she says, we would get screamed at or hit if we used to ask for anything. She says, I'm still working on that father connection to God. Isn't it so true how sometimes we can uh, put what our own, our own earthly father was like onto God? Don't we just transfer that onto him? She says, I'm still working on that father connection to God. I understand what a father is supposed to be cognitively. However, having never experienced a good father on earth, I'm still working on my heart understanding how to be in a healthy father-daughter relationship. Wow, isn't that powerful? Or how about this from my friend Gary? Gary is a fairly new Christian in my connection group, and we went through this book uh, in our group. And when I asked our group, hey, what's, what's God teaching you about prayer? Gary said, I'm actually praying for the first time. That was so cool to hear. That's great. That's right. That's important. There's, there's no better way to develop a relationship with God than to pray to him. I mean, how do you develop a relationship with anyone if you're not willing to talk to them? Right? And if you're not willing to listen. And so Gary has started praying as a result of this book. I love that. Paul Miller says this in the book. He says, if you're not praying, then you're quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all you need in life. But if, like Jesus, you realize you can't do life on your own, then no matter how busy, no matter how tired you are, you'll find the time to pray. And so as we wrap up today, I want to just take, the t- take, take some time and talk about the last 5% of your prayer life, all right? And so if you're new to Christianity or maybe you're just checking out church for the first time, you don't really know what to think about this Jesus thing, I I really hope that there will be something in here for you. But who I'm really speaking to today are those of you who have probably been Christians for a long time. Your, Your faith walk is fairly far along, but maybe your prayer life feels stale. It feels like you're in neutral or you feel like you don't know like that next step to take in your faith. Maybe you feel stuck. And so maybe you don't know what to do. I want to talk about how you can go about instituting the last 5% of your prayer life. Now, here's why this is important. Uh, Jim Collins, many years ago, wrote a book that was uh, very influential in the corporate world uh, called Good to Great. And what he did was he researched a whole bunch of companies that used to be good companies that became great companies. Used to be good organizations, became great organizations, and he looked for uh, the common threads that, that went throughout these organizations, common changes that they made to go from good to great. And here's what he says in that book, and this has become kind of a catchphrase in industry. He said, good is the enemy of great. Good is the enemy of great. Here, here's what he means. When something seems good enough, there's very little motivation to make it great, right? It's good enough. Why should we change? You see that all the time in sports. A team almost gets to the championship game. Well, they're just going to make little tweaks here and there. They're not really going to rebuild, right? Uh, We see that all the time, uh, a lot of time in our marriages. You know, my marriage is pretty good. I've got most of what I need, and so I'm not really going to do anything to rock the boat. I'm just going to kind of live with it. And sometimes we just kind of live with it for a lot of years, right? We see that good is the enemy of great. And and, uh, we, but we need a great prayer life. We need a great relationship with God. You may think you don't need that now because things are going pretty well for you, but 
But all over this room, there are people who will attest that you never know when something unexpected is going to happen. Right? And if you haven't already developed that great prayer life, you are going to struggle when talking with God about that when something unexpected happens. So I love how Jim Collins says that, that good is the enemy of great. The, the, the logic, logical thinker in me loves that. The business person in me loves that. But the artist in me loves how Bill Withers handled this. Singer Bill Withers uh, had a movie about his life made in 2009 called Still Bill. And here's what he told the filmmaker. He said, on the way to wonderful... Now, you got to do this in Bill Withers' voice. I can't do Bill Withers, okay? But it's really good. He says, on the way to wonderful, you're going to have to pass through all right. And when you get to all right you better take a good look around because it may be as far as you're ever going to go. Hmm. Man. So here's my question for you this morning. Do you want a good prayer life or a great prayer life? Do you want a wonderful relationship with God or is all right good enough for you? You know, what's the difference between good and great? It's that last 5%. It's finishing strong. Uh, I recently took a, 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 a survey called Strengths Finder. Are you guys familiar with Strengths Finder? Anybody taken Strengths Finder before? You guys, how many of you can name your five strengths? You know, okay. So one of mine is uh, Activator. Activator is a really great strength. Uh, it, it, I mean, they're all great, right? But uh, activator means that when you see something that needs to be done, you immediately want to go do it. And so I, I'm not going to wait for analysis. I'm not going to wait for your plan. Uh, I see something that needs to get done, and I go do it. Now, the, the, that's the strength of an activator. The, the weakness of an activator is activators aren't always good at finishing things. All right, and so my wife can attest to this. When we bought our first house together 20, almost 25 years ago, uh, I, it was a, a fixer-upper, and I had a project going in every room in the house. Now, see? She's she amening me. I had a project going in every room in the house, and, and I realized what would happen was I would go to this one room, and I'd see this thing falling down or this thing coming apart or this thing that needed to get fixed, and I'd start working on it, but then I'd go into the next room, and I'd see there's another thing that also needed fixed, and so I'd start working on that, and all these things got left behind, and my wife finally had to stop me. We were newlyweds, you know, in this new house, and, and she had to say, hey, could, could you just finish, like, one project first and then go on to the next one? I'm like... Huh, I never heard about that. That's a, that's a new concept for me. I'm not that great of a finisher. Uh, but time after time, the New Testament encourages us to finish strong. Paul implores the church in Colossus. He says, see that too, that you complete the ministry that you've received in the Lord. He tells the church in Corinth, now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. So what does it mean to have a complete prayer life? What does it mean to have a finished faith? What's that last 5% look like when it comes to prayer? Well, I believe what Scripture shows us is that 5%, the last 5% is to have a process to allow prayer to become an intentional part of your life, a consistent piece in your life. See, it's easy to pray when you want something, right? It's really easy to make those requests sometimes. It's easy to, to, to pray when you have a need, uh, when you need healing in your life, when you have a need uh, for people to be praying for you. It's easy to make that ask. But when we only pray about those things, we become like the spoiled teenager that only comes to their parents when they want something, right? What Scripture teaches is that a, a consistent prayer life, praying consistently, praying constantly, the last 5% is developing kind of prayer life where you are in constant contact with your Heavenly Father. And what I think we see in the life of Jesus, who had the greatest prayer life on the face of the earth, is that Jesus had... A time, 
a place and a system for prayer. And we're going to look at this verse uh, in Luke 5. Luke 5.16 is the verse we're going to use this morning. This is probably the best description of Jesus' prayer life in all of Scripture, and it's one sentence, and it says this, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And what we're going to see in here and with some other scripture is that he had a time, a place, and a system. First, a time. Jesus had a regular schedule of prayer. If we read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we regularly see Jesus praying in the morning. Now, this follows the pattern that's set out in the Psalms. If you read through the Psalms, you see this regular pattern. Psalm 5.3 says, In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. Psalm 59.16 says, But I will sing of your strength. In the morning, I will sing of your love. Psalm 88 says, But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Now, does this mean you have to pray only in the morning? Well, I hope not, because if that's true, I would never be your pastor, <laughs> because I am not a morning person. I, we don't have to get up before the birds are awake and pray, because if that's true, I mean, I'm not a lark. I'm an owl. You know, there are larks and owls. Have you heard that? There are larks and owls, and larks are the morning people. They're the ones that get up at 5.30 in the morning before the world's awake, before the sun comes up, and they, they get their cup of coffee, and they sit out on their porch with their Bible, and they're like... <sniffs> Oh, I just love this time, this me time. The kids aren't awake. Nobody's awake. It's so quiet in the world. And I've got my Bible. I've got God. I've got my coffee. I'm, I'm just so happy. And meanwhile, I'm in bed going, did somebody turn on the light? Like, can, you just, can we just go back to bed? For, now, 11 o'clock at night, I'm wide awake, and I'm ready to go. Good Lord, let's go. Let's pray. I can do that, okay? And so I, I was always convicted that I don't like to get up early in the morning and pray, and I thought that made me a bad person. But then I found this verse, all right? I, found, I don't like to take Scripture out of context, and I don't think I'm doing that here, but I found this verse, and I think I'm going to make this my life verse, okay? And so it's Acts 10, 9, and it said this, about noon... The following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. Around noon, Peter went up on the roof to pray. Now, I know it's not Jesus, it's Peter, but still, this is from the Bible, right? It's scriptural. I can pray around noon. Now, noon's a good time for me. By noon, I will have had breakfast. I had some caffeine. I've got a couple things done in the day. And God, I'm ready for you now, you know? Uh, it's not first thing in the morning. It's not before... I don't even know if God's awake at 5.30 in the morning. I'm sure he is. That's not biblical. Steve, stop that. The key is not when you do it. The key is that you set aside time to do it. I mean, I mean, look, it's great that you can pray while you drive to work. Do it with your eyes open, by the way. It's great that you can pray uh, during the day as things come up, that you can present these little requests to God. I love a God who responds in that way, that we can have this God, that we have this assurance that he's listening to us no matter what's going on. But the last 5%, the last 5% of your prayer life is setting aside intentional time to spend with your Father who loves you, and it could be morning, noon, or night. The key is that it's intentional and it's planned. You set it aside. Now, it doesn't have to be a lot of time. All right, especially not at first. If you leave today and you think, okay, here's my takeaway from the message. I'm going to pray for an hour a day every day this week. I don't want to be Debbie Downer, but it's probably not going to work for you if you haven't been praying. An hour is a long time. It's a long time to concentrate. It's a long time to keep your mind from wandering. And uh, you know, we talk about prayer muscles around here, that you've got to build up some prayer muscles before you do that. Right? It's like if you go to the gym 
uh, for the first time today, and you haven't lifted weights in a while, and you get on the bench press and you stack 225 on that bar, and you get underneath that thing, when you, if you're able to get it off of the hook uh, and it comes onto your chest, it's going to hurt. And you're probably going to be stuck there for a while if you haven't lifted in a while, right? I mean, that's a lot of weight. And so what would a trainer recommend you do? Well, you start with the bar, and let's just lift the bar. And then uh, when that feels comfortable, let's put a little weight on the end. Let's put those two and a halves on the end. You know, that, there's a reason they make those little small weights, so you can build up slowly, right? Well, prayer's the same way. You don't start with an hour. You start with 10 minutes. You start with five minutes. You start with whatever feels comfortable for you. And then what you'll find out, if you do it consistently every day, and you set aside time, and maybe it's 10 minutes, and you set aside 10 minutes, and you start praying for 10 minutes, and then someday, in the next week or two, you're going to go over 10 minutes, and it's not going to feel like you went over 10 minutes. You're going to go to 15, and you're going to go, hey, that wasn't so hard. That was pretty good, actually. And pretty soon, 15 will become your new regular, and then 20, and then 30, and then you can build up to an hour or two hours. Or you know, Some people do three hours a day. Um, but it's, it's a little bit at a time, but the key is that you do it intentionally. Once you've built up that muscle, you can, you can grow to more time. So you need to set aside time, but you also need a place. Do you have a place where you go to pray? There are some places where you go to, pr- go to pray consistently. I told you guys a couple weeks ago that I often pray at McDonald's, not because McDonald's is an incredibly spiritual place. We all know that Chick-fil-A is, but McDonald's isn't, Right? But uh, my wife and I go to McDonald's on a regular basis, and I sometimes go without her in the morning and uh, if she's too busy, and I'll go and I'll pray. I pray for our church there. I pray for my family there. I pray that the food won't kill me there. Um, I pray a lot of things at McDonald's. At McDonald's, had a lot of prayer. So um, one of my mentors is a, is a great teacher of Jesus, a guy by the name of Dan Spader, and many of you um, in this room have done one of Dan's studies. Uh, Dan's the guy that uh, invented the idea of the four chairs that we've talked about before, about disciple-making with four chairs, that everybody sit, sits in one of these four chairs. He also wrote a study called Walking as Jesus Walked. Many of you have gone through that before. But I, wanted to, I, I thought this was so important, I wanted to take a few minutes in our service to show you this video of Dan. Now, I have to warn you, Dan is, uh, in real life, he's, in, he's a very um, uh, likable, charismatic speaker. But on video, he's a little bit corny a little bit cheesy. It may take you a minute to get used to him, but he's an incredibly knowledgeable guy about the life of Jesus and specifically about the prayer life of Jesus. So I want to show you Dan's teaching on Luke 5, 16 and pay special attention to this idea that Jesus had places that he went on a regular basis to pray consistently. Take a look. I'm sitting here on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, uh, overlooking the beautiful sea up on the mountainside in what is many have called the Eremos Cave. Uh, Eremos is a Greek word that means solitary or lonely, deserted. The scripture tells us in Luke 5, 16, Jesus would often slip away to a lonely place or to a deserted place, to often slip away to pray. Many people speculate this is a place where Jesus would often come in the north side of the Sea of Galilee, close to where he did many of his miracles. Mark chapter 6 tells us that after he fed the 5,000 people. Then he'd heard also just before this of John the Baptist being beheaded and his disciples had been sent out and he knew Herod Antipas was probably out to get him. Jesus pushed his disciples out in a boat and he says, go to the other side. And then he slipped up to the mountainside to pray. And scripture says he came in late of the evening and then the third watcher, three in the morning, he walks to his disciples out on the water. So that meant he was six to nine hours up here on the mountainside praying. 
You know, there are 45 times, 33 different instances in the life of Christ where he said he would often slip away to pray or get away to pray. And I just wondered what Jesus would pray about in moments like this. In his humanity, what can we learn from his prayer life? I've studied those instances many times in Jesus' life. And every time I've studied them, I learned something new about Jesus and prayer. And we're to think and act like Jesus. I wonder here if he was sitting in this cave knowing all the events that have gone on, the feeding of the 5,000, John being beheaded, the people wanting to make him king in John chapter 6. What was he praying about for that six to nine hours before he went out and walked on the water with his disciples? I can't imagine him not praying for his own disciples. I can imagine him that night praying for John's disciples and maybe even some of the relatives of Jesus that were, took the news really hard when they heard John had been beheaded. Wondering why people questioning, why didn't Jesus get him out of prisoners? Because he said he came to set the prisoners free, and yet John was not set free. I'm sure he's praying for the people involved in that. I'm sure Jesus was praying for those who were wanting to make him king, knowing that they had the wrong attitude. I'm sure Jesus sat here and as he saw his disciples straining at the oars, he prayed for them and prayed for the next steps in their life. Many, many things Jesus prayed for. I'm sure even in his humanity, when he'd heard about his cousin John being beheaded, and he didn't know until somebody told him. And it seemingly then, at the right away, Jesus wanted to get away because he was grieving in his heart. He loved John. That was his cousin. Jesus knew he was going to face what John faced. And I'm sure he had to get away and just languish a while and listen to his father for next steps. I love to study the prayer life of Jesus and just look at the context around the context and imagine what he prayed for because our prayer life needs to imitate that of Jesus. You see, in all of those instances where you study Jesus' prayer life, it's fascinating to me. Jesus' ministry began with prayer where he says while he was praying at his baptism, the Spirit came upon him. And his ministry ended in prayer. The last words on a cross were a word of prayer, and a centurion believed because of that prayer. Jesus launched his ministry at the very beginning with 40 days of fasting and prayer. What would happen in our ministries if we devoted that type of prayer to any new ministry launch? Before every major turning point in Jesus' life, you find him coming out of prayer. You find it in Mark 1 where he said, we must go to the other cities in town. That came after a time of prayer. You find it in Matthew 9 where he said, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. And they said, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. You find it in Luke 9 before he went up to Caesarea Philippi. He's praying for his disciples. And then he asked him, who do you say that I am? You find it in Luke 9 also before he chose the 12. He spent the whole night in prayer before he chose the 12. We can learn so much from the prayer life of Jesus. You find Jesus praying, Jesus praying, Jesus praying, and then the Bible says the disciples watched. And then Jesus prayed, Jesus prayed, and the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. It seemed like those closest to Jesus knew that what made him different from every other leader was his prayer life. His prayer life, and he said, Lord, teach us to pray. As a matter of fact, if you didn't know where Jesus was, uh, you could often find him in prayer. That's how Judas knew where to find Jesus in the garden. It was a time of prayer. The busier Jesus became, the more he prayed. Matter of fact, check it out to see if it's not true. Not that we could learn anything from that. But the busier he became, the more you would find him working hard to get away to pray. You see, I believe Jesus in his humanity 
He may have not known all the next steps to take, but he knew where to get the next step. And that's why Jesus prayed so much. Prayer for Jesus was a time of listening, Psalm 5.3, directing his words to the Father and then listening, listening. I think prayer for Jesus was a time of, of learning. It was during that time the Father spoke to him, taught him, gave him insight, showed him the next step. I think prayer for Jesus was simply a time of loving on his Father and allowing his heart to be refreshed. And, and it was a time also languishing, just in the Father's presence. And in that way, his heart could be renewed. I think even up here, probably he was busy, he was tired, he was consumed. He had a heavy heart with John being murdered. And Jesus just languishes in the presence of the Father, waiting on the Lord. And then his strength was renewed. Um, may God guide you this week as you study the prayer life of Jesus and you discuss it as a group. Look at the text around the text and say, what can we learn? What does it mean to pray as Jesus prayed? I wonder if you have a place where you consistently go to pray. Like, think about it this way. If your family didn't know where you were, would they automatically go to look in the place where you pray? I mean, you need to set aside time. You need a place. And then finally, the last part is you need a system for prayer. Now, we talk about the prayer life of Jesus. Last week, we looked at how he was consistent in teaching this pattern of prayer that we know as the Lord's Prayer. And so for you, your system may be that you've got a pattern of prayer but maybe you don't, I mean, it could be, you know, uh, like Jesus prayed, the Lord's Prayer. It could be that I'm going to do that every day. It could be uh, on Sundays we pray for these things. On Mondays we pray for these things. On Tuesdays we pray for these things, etc. cetera. Um, I have a, a Bible that I bought about a year ago that is a prayer Bible. And it uh, has a different uh, scripture for each day that you can, and a place where you can write down your prayer. So it sends you to a scripture, you go read the scripture, and then you can write down your prayer uh, there in the Bible. Uh, many people use a journal. I have a prayer journal that I use, uh, a place where you can write down your prayers. It's so important to be able to look back at the things you've prayed. And I think it's, there's no uh, better way that I can think of to build your faith than to look back and see that the prayers that the Lord has answered for you and so if you've got a place where you can write them down and you can look back and you'll, you'll come back a year later and look and go, well, God, God answered that in a way I didn't expect. I'm not struggling with that anymore. Or, or you know, she's not suffering from that anymore. And she's been healed. Or, or, or he doesn't have that issue anymore. Or, man, the Lord answered that one just like I asked him to. And just to see all of those things and the way that the Lord is listening to you and responding to you is so growing for your faith. The one system that Miller recommends in the book is to use prayer cards. Uh, you get cards like these, and you put a different... Uh, I was going to bring my own prayer cards, but the honest truth is I couldn't find them this morning. And so, uh, strike against your pastor. I don't know where my prayer cards are that I'm supposed to be praying for. Um, they're in my journal, which I didn't find this morning. But uh, you could write somebody's name on the top of a card and then write the things that you're praying for them under here. And as those things change, you can mark those things out and add new things. And then, uh, and then you just, as you go through your cards, you know, a couple, a couple a day or whatever, whoever you're praying for or whatever event you're praying for, things like that. Now, this, this feels really tasky, doesn't it? It feels very practical. Like, come on, Steve, aren't you allowing room for the Holy Spirit to move? I have to tell you, I believe that the Holy Spirit's powerful enough that he can work even through our preparation and even through our systems and, and even uh, in our process and in our consistency. Now, remember, we're talking about the last 5% of your prayer life here. The last 5%, and this is so important. It's the difference between a good prayer life and a great one. Now, I got to tell you, the one thing that I want to make 
clear about this 5% concept is that you can't apply it to every part of your life. Because here's what happens. If you decide, you know what, Steve's right. I got to be working on the last 5%. I'm going to spend the last 5% on everything that I'm doing. You, you don't have that kind of time. If you did, you'd be doing it already, right? And so you've got to pick and choose what are the areas of your life that you're really going to apply that last 5% towards. And I've got to tell you that there's no more important place than your relationship with God to really go after that last 5%. So why should you even care? Why does the last 5% of your prayer life even matter when sometimes it seems like we don't give God the first 95% anyway? Here's why it matters. Because if you're a Christian, right, if you've been saved by Jesus, he didn't save you 95% of the way, right? God didn't save you halfway. He didn't 80% save you. He didn't 95% save you. He didn't kind of rescue you. No, God completely rescued you. Hebrews 7.24 says, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood, therefore he is able to save, what's that word? Completely. He's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always leads to intercede for them. And in response to a God like that, a God who saves completely, a God who gave 100% to us, how can we possibly give him 95% of the prayers he deserves? 95% of the praise he deserves. 95% of the worship that he deserves. And so as we close out this study and close out this series, uh, I want to do it with this reminder from Paul Miller. This is one of my favorite quotes in the whole book. He says, you don't create intimacy. You make room for it. This is true whether you're talking about your spouse, your friend, or God. You need space to be together. Efficiency, multitasking, busyness all kill intimacy. In short, you can't get to know God on the fly. If Jesus had to pull away from people and noise in order to pray, then it makes sense that we need to as well. So if you think about your prayer life this week, you think about modeling your prayer life after the prayer life of Jesus, how could you not want to give him that last 5%? How could you not want to go that extra mile? for a God who saves you completely. Let's pray together. Father, I'm so thankful for that truth that you are a good God who decided in your sovereignty that while we were still sinners, that you would reach down and rescue us from our sin. God, I am so thankful for that today. I'm thankful, more thankful for that now than I've ever been in my life. Lord, as I look around the room and I see the stories and know some of the people in here and what they're struggling with, Lord. I I see a room full of people who just need to give you that last 5%. God, so, so, so many of us are so close. And if we would just give you the last 5%, Lord, our prayer life would be better. We'd be able to hear from you more. We'd feel closer to you. We'd feel more intimacy with you. And God, that's what we want. You're our Father. And we love you. So help us this week to give up even that last 5%. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close our service, we're going to sing one more song. I'd love if you would stand if you're able.